Hello, hello. Um, let's pray before I begin. Uh, Lord, thank you for this gorgeous day, for the chance to be together, to worship, to breathe together, to be attentive to what you have for us, to slow down, to pause, um, to come before you, Lord, and receive afresh your goodness. So would you meet us here? Um, would you allow only the words that you'd have these guys um, come away with that speak of you stick? Let everything else float away. Um, so we give you thanks for this time. We give it to you um, and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I am so glad to be with you this morning. And of course, being in front of people always gives me anxiety. So uh, it's an ironic joy to be here to speak about anxiety. Um, even though I've done a lot of research and I've done therapy myself and I am a therapist, I still experience anxiety. Right now, my knees are a little shaky, and my stomach is clenched, and my breath is kind of short. So what's the deal with this? Am I a bad Christian? Am I a terrible therapist? Am I failing in some way because I'm feeling this? Do I not have enough faith? Eh, I don't really think so. I don't think so. It's tempting to take certain scriptures out of context and apply them like band-aids to ourselves to try to stifle the bleed of anxiety. Don't be anxious about anything. Do not fear. Do not let your heart be troubled. Hey, if that's helpful to you, knock yourself out. Go about it that way. But that hasn't been terribly effective for me. It's about as effective as someone telling me, chill out, Liz. You just need to relax. Calm down, Liz. Well, there's good news for us, folks. Nowhere in Scripture does God try to shame his people into calming down. We don't hear him say, you know, if you could just chill out, then I could finally get my work done. Instead, we're met over and over with the message that God's love is coming for all parts of us. And even, and maybe most especially, our anxious parts. There is no part of you that the Lord does not love, and no part of your life that he does not pursue you in. His love pursues you in the past that you worry about, and his love pursues you in the future, and the future of your what-ifs, all of your what-ifs. His love pursues you in the most difficult, irritating, unfinished, and struggling parts of yourself, whether that's your anxiety, your sexuality, your eating disorder, your perfectionism, your hypocrisy, or your depression. You are never, never left alone in your struggle. And in the Christian story, your struggle is never wasted. So take a deep breath with me and listen to this reality. I pray that out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide 
and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And that's Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. So in the counseling world, we often talk about grounding when anxiety comes up. So I loved in Paul's prayer that we hear about grounding. We hear about being rooted and grounded in love. So we get to imagine God's love being poured out into our hearts and trickling its way into our and down through our torsos and through our legs and anchoring our feet to steady ground where powerful roots hold us steady. In the therapy world, grounding means using our senses to non-judgmentally come into the present moment. So when I first start noticing that I feel anxious, that my throat is getting tight, my heart is beating a little bit quicker, and a tense heat might be kind of surging into my chest, which often happens for me uh, when I feel especially the urge to confront someone or if I'm going to ask a question in a group of people that I feel intimidated by. When I feel that, I consider Psalm 34, 8, which invites me to taste and see that the Lord is good. Because God designed our bodies to experience his goodness through our senses. So to experience through our senses. Taste and sight are two of them. And then we've got hearing and feeling and smelling, right? So with a deep breath, I'll take a moment to pay attention to the warmth of the sun shining on my face. I was literally doing that walking up here, just feeling that sun shining on my face. Or I'll bring my attention to the feeling of my toes gripping the shoes that are protecting my feet. Or I'll take a sip of my coffee and just allow that delicious, creamy, in my case, um, tart taste, just bringing my attention to that taste of the coffee on my tongue, enjoying it, allowing that goodness to just be with me for a moment. So I'm not trying to fix my anxiety. I'm bringing my attention to how God's goodness is coming at me through my senses right then. I'm finding the better story even as I acknowledge that, yep, My old friend anxiety is back again. So the thing about the Christian story is that it isn't a mere philosophy or ideology that we just assent to with our minds, right? It's a true story rooted in history that holds our past, invites us to the present with a living Lord who walks with us, and secures our future, promising us that all will be made well. So this story, where our past and our present and our future are held fast, gives us hope. It turns all of our what-ifs into even-ifs, right? So, for example, if you are coming back from some event and you think, what if they thought I was really awkward? That becomes, even if they thought I was awkward, I am secured in the love of Christ. What if I don't get that assignment done? Becomes, even if I don't get that assignment done, I am secured in the love of Christ. What if I don't get into grad school? Becomes, even if I don't get into grad school, I am secured in the love of Christ. 
what if my parents get divorced becomes even if my parents get divorced, I'm secured in the love of Christ. What if someone finds out about my addiction to pornography becomes even if someone finds out I am secured in the love of Christ. What if my anxiety never gets any better becomes even if my anxiety never gets any better, I am secured in the love of Christ. So take a second and think of your what if. What is your what if? And I want you to breathe in. Even if that happened or is happening, you are secured in the love of Christ. Let that reality filter into your ears and down into your body. This side of heaven, we will never not need to keep hearing it. And it doesn't minimize our struggle. It doesn't dismiss how hard it can be. I don't know that it's even supposed to fix our anxiety, but it does remind us of the bigger story at work. And that story is meant to infiltrate all parts of our lives. And if we are numb to that word of our belovedness, becoming aware of our numbness even is a hopeful thing. We may have heard it so many times that it just comes at us and we're numb to it. Being curious about becoming aware of that numbness is a great first step. That could be just a way that your defenses are protecting you from something. Um, So we get curious and wonder, what could that be protecting us from? Could it be protecting you from something you have a hard time believing? Are your defenses maybe telling you that you have a wound that needs lament? Or guilt that needs to receive forgiveness? could be any or all of these things, or something else. But no matter the source, our anxiety finds a secure home in the story of God. It finds meaning and hope and comfort in Christ. This means we are grounded in someone more powerful than ourselves. Although the world will tell us things will improve if we just believe in ourselves more or somehow believe enough in our enoughness. We get to look to the creator sustainer of the world who can stop the wind and the waves. He's the Lord who is holding all things together and who also draws near to us. When we read the words, do not fear in scripture, or do not be anxious, so Isaiah 41 and Philippians 4 are up there, we aren't reading about a cranky old man who's annoyed with us. We aren't reading about a fierce dictator who's angrily trying to control us. That doesn't fit with the character of God that we hear about all through Scripture. We are reading about a good father with both the kindness and the authority to put our hearts at rest. It reminds me of an appointment that I had several years back after some routine blood work came back. Came back kind of weird. And my physician said, we need to look into this a little bit more. You don't have any symptoms, but this blood works strange. So I ended up needing to have a kidney biopsy to determine what was going on. So it was kind of scary. I didn't know it was coming. And the day after my stay in the hospital for this, 
my kidney doctor called me up and he said, Liz, you don't need to worry. You've won the kidney disease lottery. This is a really good diagnosis. Um, I love Dr. Chamberlain, by the way. He's got a great sense of humor. Um, Dr. Chamberlain had the authority to tell me I didn't need to worry about my particular type of kidney disease. He had the knowledge I didn't have about what was going on. So his word over me had power. It had authority to put me at rest. Our anxiety finds a secure home in the story of God. In the Christian story, we have a trustworthy, grounding source of love and hope and identity that isn't dependent on us. And it's not dependent on our abilities, our knowledge, or our emotions. It's one that isn't even dependent on us getting rid of our anxiety. Like Paul says in Ephesians, we need a love that is wider than our worst fears, longer than our what-ifs, higher than our greatest anxieties, and deeper than our pain. We need a love that surpasses knowledge found in the person of Jesus Christ. Everything hinges on him. So it's always worth slowing down and looking to and at him when we're struggling and when we have questions about the tough things of life like anxiety. Looking at him helps us to understand what to do with emotion. And that's what anxiety is. Anxiety is an emotion. And it's an, to, to even give you background on that, emotions, we don't kind of, we have a sense for what they are, but we kind of forget that they are energy and motion in our bodies. And they have at least three parts. They have a physiological part, so our neurons fire and our hormones are secreted, and our stomachs clench and our hearts race. That's a physiological part. They have a subjective part where that's happening unconsciously for us a lot of the time, and we interpret that physiological experience. We might put a word to it, nerves, worry, anxiety, right? And then it has the expressive part, where our face and our tone of voice and our posture maybe reveals what we're internally experiencing. So three parts. And those are gonna look different depending on your cultural context, your family context, all sorts of different things. That's totally okay. But anxiety is an emotion. It's different than fear, so fear would be a response to a perceived threat. Snake, <laughs> fear, right? Anxiety would be potential future threat response. So imagining one day there could be a snake and I'm anxious about that, right? And you might not even be able to label what anxiety is coming from or headed toward. That's a part of it. It's like white noise. It's like static. Some people even call it um, an inhibitory emotion. So it's keeping us even from paying being able to pay attention to what other emotions might be happening? What else is going on in our story? It is this distracting static. So, it's an emotion. It is not a part of your identity. It's not who you are, even if you have an anxiety disorder. And actually, it's not an enemy. It's an emotion. So going back to Jesus, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is an incredibly helpful picture of struggle with uncomfortable emotion. And anxiety is a pretty uncomfortable emotion. So we're gonna head to this text, keeping in mind that our man-god was sinless, right? He was sinless. So his emotional experience cannot be attributed to sin. Can't do it. Not allowed. So from Mark 14, 32. This is right after Jesus has predicted that his disciples are going to desert him. So just imagine that. That's a pretty intense thing to even be aware of. My friends are going to desert me. So it says, 
they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. So here we have the God of the world with skin on, engaging in some really noteworthy things. Not only do we read that he experienced deep distress and sorrow and overwhelm, a very appropriate reaction to what he knew was about to come, but he let that wave of emotional energy pass through his body and fell to the ground, right? He engaged it honestly, calling out to the Father, and he didn't spiritualize it. He didn't merely say, well, I know I'm going to resurrect, so I'm just going to bypass this emotional difficulty. That's not what happened. First, he invited his friends in, asking them to sit with him while he prayed. Not only did he share with them the difficulty and extremely emotional, vulnerable, emotional experience he was having, he humbly asked for them to stay with him instead of avoiding the discomfort of potentially being a burden to them, right? Then, he offered up a true and honest request to the Father. He didn't hold back. He asked for what he wanted, while also saying, yet not what I will, but what you will. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So sometimes we miss this. We read Jesus as this uber-spiritual dude who skated through life, spouting scripture, and merrily doing the will of the Father till things got hard at the end. But that's not the picture we have when we slow down and we zoom in. We're given the picture of a man feeling incredibly hard things, wrestling with God the Father, and living in the tension of longing for all to be made right. He's the most faithful human to have ever lived, right? So this gives us hope. When we're tempted to isolate from others because of our anxiety, we can remember Jesus leaning into his friendships and asking for support. He allowed them to see his messy emotional experience. When we're tempted to minimize our anxiety, we can remember Jesus saying his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Does not sound very minimized. When we're tempted to shame ourselves out of our anxiety, saying, I should just have faith that it's all going to be fine, we can remember Jesus falling to the ground and wrestling with God. When we're tempted to avoid our anxiety from, by distracting with it, maybe through mm, theologizing or rationalizing, uh, or maybe judging the theological accuracy of someone else, not that I've ever done these things, uh, we can remember Jesus' faithful embodiment and confession of his anxiety as he moved through it and offered it to the Father. And if we can't even imagine a day where anxiety will not rule our lives, as it's one of the loudest and most paralyzing realities we experience, 
we can look again to the Father, ourselves, and say, please help. Please take this cup from me. I can honestly say, I don't know if God will take that cup from you, if that's your experience. But I can also say, honestly, with every fiber of my heart and being, he will not leave you alone in that suffering. And he still has good and beautiful things for you in that suffering. In the Christian story, anxiety is not an enemy. And it isn't something to be fixed. It isn't something to be ashamed of either. And it isn't the main narrator of your life. Anxiety is an invitation to connection. It's an invitation to connection with the God who is authoring your life. It's an invitation to connection with his body, his people who are learning to practice bearing burdens with one another. And it's an invitation to connection with his glorious creation that we get to experience through amazing music that we hear, the gorgeous mountain landscapes that you see outside, and the very spines that are holding your bodies upright right now. So breathe in with me once again. No matter where you are in your relationship with anxiety, and breathe out. You are secured in the love of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you know our struggles. You know the impossible places in our lives. Uh, If it's not anxiety, you know what it is. You know us to our core, and you know us more than we know ourselves. So we pray, God, that you'd meet us here. We pray that you'd heal us, you'd make us whole. You'd help us to trust you in the meantime. Uh, We say, I believe, help my unbelief, Lord. Would you help us to live in the reality of your good story, that we are your beloved sons and daughters, first and foremost. Um, Would you give us your hope for today? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.